Let's get it. Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. Born the Battle, episode 169. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. Special shout out to those who recently completed the Army 10 miler a couple weeks ago and to the Marine Corps marathoners, the veterans who ran the Marine Corps marathon who had to slog it out through those couple of inches of rain over the weekend. Man, it was a it was a downpour. My hat's off to you. One review in iTunes this week, couple of ratings. Thank you. I love reading these because other than our email at podcast at va.gov, I feel like it's the best way to communicate with you. And this one is from Doom C2, all one word. Entertaining series and catchy title. I'm an intern at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and was recently introduced to this podcast. I had the chance to listen through two of the episodes. I wonder which ones they were. I really enjoyed the format of the podcast by acknowledging the listeners, current events, and then a discussion with guests. Highly recommend this podcast to anyone who likes to listen to free-thinking veterans and their stories. Thank you, Doom C2. Um, I don't know if you're one of our interns at the Digital Media Engagement Program. If you are, thank you. Even if you're not, thank you. I'm, I'm curious to know where you're, where you're at. And thank you again for recommending the podcast to others. Uh, as always, uh, recommendations, ratings, reviews all help help us further the show. And thank you for uh, giving a shout out to the to the veterans that come on the show. Uh, I think personally, to get in front of a mic is tough for some people. Uh, I think the important thing to take away from our, our guests is that uh, we can learn from them, all of them, and their deser- and their story deserves to be told. Let's take a look at what was released last week as far as VA news releases. First up says for immediate release, the VA and DOD to fund up to $50 million in new research for a traumatic brain injury. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense launched the Long-Term Impact of Military-Related Brain Injury Consortium, otherwise known as LIMBIC, uh, you know, government and their acronyms, on October 1st, for which the two organizations pledged to fund up to $50 million to research mild traumatic brain injuries or concussions. The five-year effort will receive $25 million in funding from DOD and up to $25 million from VA, depending on the availability of funds. Limbic is composed of researchers and resources from more than 20 organizations, spanning VA, DOD, the National Institutes of Health, universities, and nonprofit organizations. VA and DOD's funding will support a consortium led by a team at Virginia Commonwealth University and the Hunter Holmes McGuire VA Medical Center in Richmond, Virginia. The lead investigator, Dr. David X. Sifu, is a senior TBI specialist for VA and a professor at VCU. The consortium extends the work of a previous collaborative effort known as the Chronic Effects of Neurotrauma Consortium, or CENC also led by Dr. Seafood. The existing CENC cohort consisted of more than 2 million veterans and service members, started in 2012, and has become the world's largest and best characterized research cohort dedicated to the study of military TBI. It will expand the cohort, integrate with other government, academic, and nonprofit research, and spur new public-private partnerships. 
hopefully that includes uh, sports organizations like the NFL, who also have uh, uh, TBI-related injuries. Researchers associated with CENC and now with Limbic have already documented links between combat concussions and dementia, Parkinson's disease, chronic pain, opioid usage, and suicide risk. They have also developed specialized diagnostic tests using questionnaires, physical exams, brain imaging, fluid biomarkers, and electrophysiology to probe how the brain recovers from injury. So currently, Limbic does not have a website you can go to, but the uh, CENC, the original one, still has a, a website, and I'll put that in the show notes. Okay, the second one says, for immediate release, VA realigns police operations to promote oversight and standardization. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs approved plans recently to realign the structure of its police force. The move follows several months of comprehensive analysis of the department's law enforcement procedures and serves as a critical step towards in implementing and recommendations made by the Office of Inspector General and and the Government Accountability Office. The changes will include implementing a police national governance body that will incorporate all department stakeholders to effectively manage and oversee policy issues, creating a police modernization office specifically charted to develop and implement uniform standards and address staffing challenges, dividing the VA police force into four multi-state regions under the head of a regional law law enforcement director. This regional director will serve as the gateway official providing strategic direction from the VA Office of Operations, Security, and Preparedness to the field operating offices. And placing a police chief in each of the 18 visions or veteran integrated service networks who will be under the oversight of the Office of Operations, Security, and Preparedness and will provide direct guidance of law enforcement operations and compliance. The district and regional law enforcement directors will be department assets placed in the field for greater accountability and oversight of the police program. These changes reaffirm that safety and security are paramount to the department. VA will continually implement solutions that assure a safe environment for veterans, staff, and visitors. So some changes in the structure of the police force. All right. And the third one is for immediate release. VA expands military spouse employment partnership program. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced today it is expanding the employment opportunities for military spouses department-wide as part of its formal induction into the Department of Defense Military Spouse Employment Partnership Program, otherwise known as MESEP. The career program connects military spouses with more than 390 affiliated employers who have committed to recruit, hire, promote, and retain military spouses in portable jobs. The VA Board of Veterans Appeals joined the MESEP last year and is working to identify additional best practices for hiring military spouses through a board military spouse working group. In July 2019, the board, as VA's representative, entered into an agreement with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation's Hiring Our Heroes, to share best practices for the hiring and retaining of military spouses, including membership in MESEP. MESEP is part of DOD's broader Spouse Education and Career Opportunities, otherwise known as SECO, program, which seeks to reduce the 24% unemployment rate experienced by military spouses and the 25% wage gap experienced by military wives. SECO provides education and career guidance to military spouses worldwide and offers free, comprehensive resources and tools related to career exploration to include education, training, licensing, 
employment readiness, and career connections. To learn more about SECO, search Military One Source or call 1-800-342-9647. That's 1-800-342-9647 to speak to a SECO career coach. You can also go to www.msepjobs, all one word, .militaryonesource.mil. All right, and finally, for immediate release, Veterans Showcase Talent at National Veterans Creative Arts Festival. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, Battle Creek VA Medical Center in Battle Creek, Michigan, and the American Legion Auxiliary will host 120 veterans from across the nation for the 2019 National Veterans Creative Arts Festival on October 28th to November 3rd. The week-long festival will culminate with an art and writing exhibition and stage show performance to encourage artistic expression and help veterans dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and other mental health issues. The National Veterans Creative Arts Festival presented by the VA and the American Legion Auxiliary features select winners from year-long National Fine Arts Talent Competition talent competitions in which more than 3,500 veterans entered at VA medical facilities nationwide. Veterans representing the 130 VA medical centers have competed in local competitions in art, music, dance, drama, and writing categories, and earned first place recognition for their talent. Veterans will participate in workshops, rehearsals, and artistic interaction sessions prior to the grand finale performance. Veterans' artwork will be displayed at an art and writing exhibition, gallery-style meet-and-greet, November 3rd, from 12 p.m. to 1.45 p.m. at the Miller Auditorium located at 2200 Auditorium Drive, Kalamazoo, Michigan. So if you're in Michigan, check it out. Performing artists will be showcased during a grand finale at 2 p.m. The public and media are invited to reserve a free admission ticket or call the Battle Creek VA Voluntary Service Office at 1-269-223-5497. And I'm sure we're going to get some pretty good... uh, social media content from that event as well to share with you guys on all of VA's channels. Finally, in addition, shopvcs.com is having a large sale for Veterans Week from November 5th through the 11th. The VA's canteen service is like the VA's version of the NEX, the seven day stores, PX, uh, whatever the army has. You can find them at a lot of VA medical centers and online. I put the flyer in the show notes if you have any questions on what's on sale. But back in my day, I used to plan my entire Veterans Day around all the food and other deals that were available. So uh, knowing that what the VA is offering, I wanted to throw that out there. All right. Yep. It's another benefits breakdown a week early. We got the Marine Corps ball coming up, Veterans Day. Uh, A lot of good interviews in the coming weeks. And I didn't want any of that to take away from this breakdown because I'm that excited to bring it to you. It's been something I've been trying to bring to you since I took the reins of the podcast. It's about the history and the recent implementation of the new Appeals Modernization Act of 2017, which was implemented earlier this year. How did we get here? What's changed? How does it benefit you? And where are we going with it? The subject matter expert is Army veteran David McClanahan, who just so happens to be the executive director of the Appeals Management Office and helped develop the program. So, 
Let's get to it and let's break down the new appeals modernization program. Enjoy. I haven't heard anybody pronounce your last name. Okay, we better I'm, work on I'm that. I'm afraid then. to do it myself. I'm going to try it. Is it McLaughlin? McLennican. McLennican. Yes. Scottish. Yes. Yeah. You got it. Clan McLennican. My uh, my mother's side is Scottish. Ah, yeah, okay. The McMartin clan. Yeah. And they dropped the Mac when they when they my immigrated. My grandfather was born in Scotland, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very recent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Very. fairly recent. So, Dave, Army veteran, correct? That's correct. Um, why did you decide to serve? Well, Tanner, uh, that takes us back to about 1980 or 81, and I was a I was a board college student, to be honest with you. Getting a little tired of college, looking for a new challenge, something more exciting at that time, uh, and I ended up joining the Army. Um, I My family has a long history of military service, uh, all the way back to... Uh, my mom just recently sent me some information on uh, a relative who was in the Civil War, and oh, really? uh, my my grandfather, her father, was uh, in World War One. Oh wow! So um, long history of military service. Uh, my brother was in the Coast Guard at the time, and uh, uh, just seemed like the thing for me to do. I, I actually turned out being one of the best decisions I've ever made. Gotcha. Now your bio just said you're an Army veteran. So did you commission? Did you? No, I enlisted. You enlisted. What yep. was your MOS? I was uh, uh, counterintelligence. Okay. Um, so did an intelligence work, and I spent about almost five years over in uh, Korea uh, during the time I was in the Army. Uh, I was at Fort Bragg and Fort Huachuca, and uh, probably the best job I ever had. Like the I like the uh, the counterintel guys. My cousin's a counterintel guy. Uh, Secret squirrel hunters and and lay of the land. It was a uh, very interesting work. So. Uh, like I say, one of the best jobs I had. Can't can't beat the people you meet. Some of the best uh, sense of humor that you're going to find is in the military, oh, yeah. as you probably know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Dave, why did you decide to get out? Well, uh, you know, again, I, I'm pretty much motivated by by challenge. Uh, it was a difficult decision. I, I thought about, uh, you know, asked whether I enlisted in, or was an officer. I thought about going to OCS uh, while I was in. Did uh, you have a bachelor's while you were in? Well, when I uh, I left college, I had about a year left, and, okay. and I finished it up. Well, actually, while I was on active duty, and then I got a graduate degree on active duty. Which oh, again, wow. uh, that was a part of going into the military. Was uh, you know I knew that there was active duty benefits for education. Um, so again, a great thing for me. Uh, you know, paying my way through college, uh, it helped to take a break and then kind of go back to school after I was on active duty. So I, I finished up school. Uh, I'd always had an interest in uh, going to law school at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to go in that direction, got out, uh, went to law school, and uh, that was kind of the, the start of the next chapter there. Yeah, I saw in your bio uh, extensive career in civil service uh, ever since 91, ever since being a legal clerk. Uh, so it sounds like law all the way to general counsel was kind of what was your path after, after the military. Right. Uh, my first job out of law school was I was a law clerk for a federal judge uh, down in Texas, in the Northern District of Texas in Fort Worth. Uh, from there, I went back to Chicago where I went to law school and I was in private practice for about eight or nine years. And then, then I came to VA to the general counsel's office. Law clerk in Texas. That had to be interesting. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, 
All the things that you see in a federal trial court, uh, clerking for the judge is great experience. Gotcha. You are now the, and now you're the director of the appeals management office at the VA's Veteran Benefits Administration. Correct. It's a long title. Yes. What's it mean? Good question. So <laughs> this, uh, this kind of goes back to, you know, the topic uh, that we're, I think we're going to talk about a little bit today, appeals modernization. Yeah. Uh, you really have to give some credit to uh, some of the leadership that we've had in VA that uh, really focused on this issue of, hey, we got a problem looming with uh, appeals. Uh, in, in VBA, if you go back a couple of years, we had a large claims backlog. I was in the news quite a bit. And yeah. We were not providing good customer service to veterans, particularly with comp- disability compensation claims. Our backlog had grown to over 600,000. And, oh, wow. And, uh, um, you know, as a result of that, we really focused on that inventory of claims and drove it down and got it under control, uh, where now, you know, you're seeing a disability compensation claim. Uh, when we get one, it's processed generally um, on average in about 90 to 100 days, which is great. Uh, yeah. The problem with that is uh, over the years, uh, as we got more and more claims, what we ended up seeing was our appeals, those people that disagree with the decisions they get, started to grow. Yeah. And because the claim, the appeals process moves more slowly than the claims process, we saw a similar thing happening in appeals where that inventory just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. One backlog um, bred the other. Yes. Um, okay. And there's a couple of different causes for it. You can get kind of down into the weeds. It's really the law, um, the system that we've had, and we can go into the history a little bit, but uh, it really wasn't designed to handle the the workload that we have now and provide really good service when somebody disagrees with the decision. Um, so did they, did they create this office? At, 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 yep. Okay. So that uh, we have some leadership here in VA, and particularly, uh, you know, I'd point to uh, former Deputy Secretary Sloan Gibson, uh, recognized the looming problem, uh, and uh, Tom Murphy, who was the acting Undersecretary for Benefits at the time, uh, you know, recognized that there was a need to really focus on this particular issue. So in VBA, uh, where all appeals started in the the legacy process, uh, we decided to put everything under the oversight of this one office, appeals management office. So we put all of the um, appeals operations for each of our 56 regional office appeals teams under this one office, as well as all the policy and procedures and training and program administration, everything having to do with appeals, we put it under this one appeals management office. Okay. And it was really to demonstrate our commitment to fixing this problem. Uh, and, you know, I think now after, that was about a little over three years ago that we set this office up. Uh, I had been working on this issue a couple of years before that as well, but we can really track it now. Was, that, what, was that in your previous uh, spot? Before yeah, this, because so, you were you were the uh, deputy undersecretary of for disability assistance and administered the VA's compensation program for veterans with service connected with service connected disabilities. Basically, anything that concerned paid benefits, right? Is that, let yes. me know if I'm wrong. Like like burial benefits, life insurance, TBI program, uh, the fiduciary program. Yes. So that, while you were in that position, you were helping develop this position. Correct. Got you. So at that time, broad oversight, but. W- but uh, the operations for appeals was under our Office of Field Operations, a separate separate entity. Um, oh, wow. The policy piece was under me in that uh, deputy undersecretary position. Uh, we pulled everything out of those organizations and put it under this appeals management office. Um, as a real strategy, 
so that we could tell the uh, stakeholders, look, we're committed to fixing this. Uh, this is what we're doing. Uh, and we've kept that up consistently over the last three years, kind of driving towards these goals. Stakeholders, meaning Congress? We're talking about congressional staff, uh, members of Congress. Uh, everybody had questions about what are we going to do about yeah. appeals. Uh, veteran service organizations, uh, the the bar that the private attorneys that handle veterans claims, um, everybody was interested in how we're going to fix this problem. So uh, there was a real focus put on demonstrating that we had a commitment to fixing it. And, yeah, gotcha. and luckily I can now say, hey, guess what? It worked uh, or it is working. So it's, it's really a good news story for VA and for veterans. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. So you were in charge of, before this, you were in charge of the initial compensation program, like the, the initial, not appeals, right? Correct. Um, what's similar when you compare your previous role to your current one? And what's different? So uh, the previous role was a much broader scope of uh, control. So gotcha. there's a director, a, a senior executive director over the compensation program, uh, which is a very, very important job in, in uh, VBA. That individual reported to me as the deputy undersecretary. I reported directly to the principal deputy undersecretary and then the undersecretary. So it was a much broader scope, as you mentioned, um, mentioned in fiduciary compensation, insurance, benefits assistance service. All of that was under that position. Uh, this is a what I'm doing now is a very specific, narrower uh, objective that uh, just appeals. <laughs> yeah, just gotcha. appeals. Uh, two two main goals. Uh, implement a better process for veterans uh, based on a change in law, and two, working our way through all the what we call the legacy appeals that are are still pending in in VA. And that's the narrow two objectives that we had, including mine. <laughs> okay, yes, <laughs> including yours. Just throwing it out there. Um, so let's go into each lane, if you will, if you will. I watched the video on YouTube, of course. Uh, it's a great video, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you guys produced that or was that VBA, was that the benefits as a whole or was that kind of led by you guys? So we had a, uh, uh, it was my staff uh, that put together the the concept and worked with uh, a company that was doing the production for yeah. us. And really cool because I mean you had the whole uh, little traffic jam concept and, and right. it had the three lanes, very cool. So the first lane, it talked about the higher lane review. Um Talk to me a little bit about that. So this kind of goes back to the the whole design of the the new process. Uh, if you go back to about March of 2016, when we got together with stakeholders to come up with this new design, um, that's one of the things that we initially looked at is what do veterans really need when they get a decision? So you got a decision on your benefit claim. What do you need when you get that decision as far as a review if you disagree with it? Yeah. And because veterans have different needs at that point in time. Uh, that was the problem with the the old process, the legacy process. Everybody had to jump into one lane. Uh, everybody went into the same system and it bogged down. So um, what we did is we essentially pulled the, the old process apart and put it back together in a way that kind of made sense for veterans where they had more options. They could kind of tailor the review to what they needed for their claim. So basically three options, as you said. You asked about the higher level review. Some veterans get a decision and they just want a more experienced adjudicator, a claims processor in VBA yeah. 
to take a look at at their claim based on exactly the same evidence and see if they can make a different decision or they can identify an error that would cause us to do some more work on it. That's the higher level review. The, how, how much more experience does that next level of adjudicator like was there like a minimum or is there a yes it has to be somebody that is is more experienced than the prior person and the way we're doing this now the way we implemented it is that uh, our most experienced adjudicators are what we call decision review officers have okay. been for many years uh, and they did decision reviews in the old process we have the same people that are doing these higher level reviews we're simply converting them over to doing these higher level reviews okay they're GS-13 is the most experienced claims processors that we have. So they're doing the higher level reviews. They look at the same evidence. They can make a different decision based on that evidence, uh, or they can identify an error and send it back for more work. And the idea is this has to happen timely. Yeah. In the old process, resolutions were taken three to seven years on average. Yeah. Uh, here, the instruction is you get this thing. You have to work it within a specific amount of time. You have to look at exactly the same evidence. And uh, right now we're doing those in about 30 days on average. Oh, wow. Because I saw in the video it was like 125 days was the, was, the, goal. was the goal. Yeah, our goal is 125 days for both the supplemental claim lane and the higher level review lane. Uh, because we're basically six or seven months into the process, the workload hasn't built all the way up yet. Yeah. But we're doing them in it's an coming. average of yeah, we're doing them average of thirty days now, which is outstanding. That's good. That's good. Um, so I guess the biggest difference between the higher claim and the supplemental claim, from what I saw, was evidence. Yes, you can add evidence into one. You can't add evidence into and do another. Exactly. Okay. And, and here's the problem: uh, the old process, you could add evidence at any time. Yeah throughout the entire appeal process. That means when it's at VBA or if you go to the Board of Veterans Appeals or it comes back to VBA from a remand from the board, you can always add more evidence. The record was open. As you can imagine, that type of system, when you have more than a million claims a year that you're deciding and, and you have people that are disagreeing with decisions, it just bogged down. Yeah. So in the new process, what we did is we said, well, um, we're not going to take anything away from veterans, but if you want more, what we, we have a duty to assist the veteran in developing their claim. That's a statutory duty that we have. If that's what you want and you want that open record to add evidence, you go to one place in the process, and that's the supplemental claim lane. Okay. And nowhere else. So it's got to be a popular lane. Yes, yeah. it is. And, and it's, you know, it, we intended that it would operate in that way. Veterans would always go there first because they want to make sure their claim is fully developed. Yeah. And the intent was, okay, go there, make sure that, it, and you can use these lanes over and over again if you want to. Um, but that's where you go. And that way, the other two points in the process, the higher level review and review by the Board of Veterans Appeals, doesn't get bogged down with that evidence development. And so that's really the way we intended that it would it would work. And that's the primary difference. Gotcha. So higher lane review. Hey, I just want somebody to look at my evidence already there. Uh, supplemental claim. Hey, I got new evidence. Either was it either in service or either if you get out, you can get like an eval or something and and yes, so and, and submit that. Right. So any evidence ordinarily that can be submitted in a in a claim, it was either evidence that was in service or it could have been you know treatment after service if it's related to a service connected disability. Uh, any evidence and in particular that duty to assist applies. So a veteran just has to identify the evidence and then we have an obligation to go out and get it. Oh, really? Yeah. So I can say, hey, I got an XO with, with XO doctor, go get it. Right. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Did or not know I that. I was treated by a doctor, you know, in this particular hospital on this date, and and we have to go out and get that evidence. I would, I would think that it might be a little quicker if I'm able to just supply it to you, though. Yes. That's always the goal <laughs> is to bring the evidence with you. Um but oftentimes, you know, we have an obligation, too, to provide a medical exam if it's necessary. What are some of the worst examples of additional evidence that you've heard of? Oh, well, I mean, I, I can't think of anything specifically, but I do know that there was all kinds of, you know, from reviewing claims files myself and in certain cases that we had in VA where you would see the things that are included in a claims file, uh, um, You'd be surprised. Some but, uh, uh, some testimony written on a napkin or something. Well, you know, that's that's part of the problem. In the past, uh, we only recently went to uh, standard claim forms. Uh, it was a very very recent development in VA. So in the past, you used to be able to submit claims on virtually any writing. So that's what I'm saying. You would oh, find wow. all different types of claims. And that's why we ended up in a situation where so like the the form 1099 or something that that didn't, that didn't exist. Yeah, we right now we have a standard claim. If you're going to submit a disability compensation claim, you have to use the standard claim form. Yeah, makes in sense. In the past, that wasn't true. Oh wow! And so you would get a letter, and somebody might set, use language in there indicating, "I want to, you know, submit a claim. I have a claim for a disability." Um, and we would discover that many years later, and then wow. have to go back and, and wow. work it. So that's, that's tough to track. Yeah, and but the reason why we we did it that way was because um, we always try to do uh, what's best for the veteran. So, Makes sense. Um, again, a recent development. I would say some good examples though would be probably like doctor's notes. The normal ones are doctor's notes, x-rays, MRI valves, things of that nature. Yes. Your normal additional evidence. Okay, cool. Um, let's go to the third lane, the Board of Veterans Appeals. Why would somebody go that route vice the other two routes. Like I said, three lanes, this would be the third one. Right. And and here's a, the distinction um, that's pretty critical to the new process. Okay. Um, in the old process, a veteran never knew really where their appeal was. Appeal started in, in the Veterans Benefits Administration. They would progress through there. We, we would resolve appeals. Most appeals are resolved in, in the Veterans Benefits Administration. At some point, they could elect to go to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, which makes the final decision for the secretary in a claim. Um, but the process churned. So the board can remand back to VBA. We would do some more work on it. It could go back to the board. Oh, wow. So what we intended to do was to be in the new process much more clear about who owns what. Yeah. Um, so that third lane, uh, appeals are not filed in VBA anymore. They're filed directly with the board. So again, much more clear if you're appealing to the board, you're actually submitting an appeal to the board. Yeah. Standard documents going to the board, that's what you're using and you're appealing to the board. So the intent was, let's be much more clear about where this review of the decision is. So that's basically skipping the, the VBA. You skip right over VBA. Administration. What's, yeah. a, what's a, an advantage of that and what, what, what could be some of the sure. drawbacks to that? Right. So uh, in the past, appeals always started in VBA. You couldn't bypass VBA. So yeah. again, this is a very unique feature of the new law is you can go straight to the board and you might want to do that depending on what the, the case is. If gotcha. it's a very complex issue um, and you believe either as a representative or a veteran that that uh, this is an issue that the board is contending with in a, in a certain way and making certain decisions because... Uh, you know, a representative might be tracking the decisions that are being made by the board and seeing how they're handling special, you know, certain complex issues. 
there might be a real benefit of going straight to the board. Okay. Um, what you give up in the design is the board's review process is different than VBAs, and, and that process is going to take longer. So we designed it intentionally in this way. If you're going to get a quicker resolution possibly in VBA in an average of 125 days, then our thought was, well, most people are going to try those two options first, right? And possibly they'll get a resolution at that point. Um, and then from there, if they don't get a resolution, go to the board. Uh, alternatively, we wanted them to have the option of going straight to the board. Yeah. There may be issues where they don't want to spend that time in, in VBA getting a review and they want to go straight to the board. And, and, and you know, perhaps it's because they want to have a, a formal hearing. That's the place where you can get a formal hearing is in the veterans or in the uh, Board of Veterans Appeals. Yeah, I saw the, the direct review or hearing. Yeah. Uh, what are the pros and cons of each? And this is just in the, in the Board of Veterans Appeals. Right. And, and just to be clear, um, the board, separate entity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, with, you're with basically the first two lanes. Yep. Veterans Benefits Administration, we own those two lanes, the board, board owns the other. Um, but in general, I can talk to you about the, the design and, sure. and, and what the benefits are. Um, you know, when we were designing this process, and I worked very closely with um, some of my former colleagues at the board back in 2016 on, on the board piece, um, what we were really looking at was, well, the the record is, is closed in the new process at the board as well, and there's no duty to assist. So the board is essentially doing the same thing as that higher level reviewer in VBA is doing, is looking at the same record that was before the prior decision maker. That was intentional, right? We want to make sure you get a timely decision. And as long as the effective date for starting benefits is protected, there's no harm in trying any of these options. What's that mean? So when you file your disability compensation claim, ordinarily, if we can pay benefits, it'll go back to the date that you filed that claim, as long okay. as the disability existed on that date. Okay. So we always pay retroactive benefits, always back to the date of the claim. Again, Got you. As long as you're entitled as of that date. So, so protecting that date is, is very, very important. important. And that's gotcha. why veterans uh, take advantage of the appeal process is you want to protect that effective date. So we needed a process that was more efficient and still protected that effective date. And gotcha. we did that. One of the things we did is we said, well, no matter which option you choose in the new process, as long as you choose one timely, which means within a year of the, each decision, yeah. your effective date's always protected. Okay. So that's the feature that protected veterans and allowed them to use. That's all these what things. that year is. Yes. Uh, uh, that's why that they say you have a year to and you're in every single letter yes. that you get. Yes. So you can you can apply for any time, but your 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 you know the original application date. The getting it within that year's that that appeal within that year is very important to protect right. that date. Gotcha. Exactly, and gotcha. so this was exactly the reason why when we were in the legacy process, you know, a veteran had to jump into this one lane yeah. that got bogged down, but you had to because you're trying to protect that effective date. You have the same issue here, but now you can tailor your review to a faster resolution process in the supplemental claim or Based on your review, needs. or you can use all of these options and and keep cycling through them as long as you come up with additional evidence. Okay. As long as you're timely in filing the next request, review request, your effective date for your benefits can always go back to that date of claim. So that was kind of the key feature in the law change. That was one of the biggest things I wanted to ask about because I did see your recent video 
Uh, I think it would, I think it dropped uh, as of this interview. It was like a like a week ago. Uh, the opt in video that you guys did. Oh yes. Uh, it, it addressed a couple of myths like that, like protecting it doesn't protect right. your date and a couple other things. Many of the uh, kind of the myths had to do with people that are in the legacy process, and and uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but we. Congress gave us 18 months to implement this new law. And during that time, we started a program that was called RAMP, Rapid Appeals Modernization Program. I, I don't know that. if you heard about yep. it. It was an opportunity for veterans that have a legacy appeal to opt into the new process. And and we really were trying to deal with the myths during that point because it's kind of a hard thing to convince somebody to do. If you've invested a couple of years in an appeal process, do you really want to jump out and go into something new that you don't know anything about? Yeah. Uh, so it was a real struggle to get people to understand. And this is a very complex topic. Appeals is very complex. That's why we're doing the show. Right. That's so, why we're doing the show. Trying to trying to get a brand around right. it. Right. So one of the myths is that you lose your effective date. No. And, and uh, it's the same thing under the new law. Um you know, getting veterans to understand that as long as you, you can use any of these options as often as you want and you won't lose your effective date as long as you make a choice within one year. So that was truly a, a myth. And, you know, others have said, well, but I'm just going to go to the back of the line. You know, I've, I've been waiting all start this time the whole process and I go back, over. back of the line. Yeah. Um, not really true. Uh, you're going into a, a faster process. As I said, Right now, we're working these in, in 30 days for higher level reviews and the supplemental claims we're doing in 60 days. Yeah. Um, so, so without a doubt, we're operating much more efficiently now. Yeah. Um, so so it, it sounds like you can appeal again quicker than it, like two or three times quicker than you could in the legacy program where yes. it took three years or seven years to get one, one, uh, one decision. Now you can get that almost that same decision uh, 12, 15 times, or you can get, you know, you can keep adding evidence and keep getting decisions almost 12 to 15 times faster. You know, I think that's, uh, that's also, you know, one of the things that people really don't understand is we didn't take anything away from veterans. In fact, uh, we really made, uh, made it better for them because, you know, we still owe that duty to assist. But we've channeled it to that one place in the process where we can provide it more efficiently. And yeah. there's no harm in going there because your effective date's protected. So we didn't take anything away from any veteran. In fact, you can stay in this process as long as you want. As long as you have new and relevant evidence that you're submitting, you can keep using these different options and yeah. cycle through the whole thing many times. Very the, good. The difference is, though, the speed at which we're providing decisions, which is really what veterans are looking for. So, uh, this modernization went into effect back in February. Um, what's been the biggest success that you've seen in, in the program? I would say, uh, if you go back to when we were first working on this and coming up with this design, um, I would say that we're about as close as you can get to it's working exactly the way that we hoped it would. Uh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, in, in VBA, I'm speaking about my experience that I'm seeing in VBA right now. Um, we've received up about 100,000, uh, if you combine the higher level reviews and the supplemental claims. Yeah. Since February, we've received about 100,000. About a quarter is higher level reviews and about three quarters is supplemental claims. Um, uh, working them very, very quickly. Um, 
stakeholders seem to be very, very satisfied. Uh, I think without a doubt, the from the customer service perspective, we're exactly where we hoped we would be. And um, that's kind of unusual, I, I think, uh, over the period of time that we've been working on, on appeals modernization. That's awesome. Um, on the flip side, what's maybe been the biggest challenge that wasn't maybe foreseen during the design that, you, right. that you've had to mitigate? Or the biggest challenge, maybe the biggest challenge you've overcome even? So I think here it's, uh, well, you know, this is probably on me. I, you know, I've been working on this so long, it seems simple to me, but uh, it's not simple to anybody else. You know, uh, veterans that have appeals pending, such as yourself. Yeah. Um, it is a very complex, first of all, our benefit programs are very complex. Uh, but secondly, the appeal process, both the old legacy process as well as the new. Um, the new is is easier to explain, as we've been talking about today, but yeah. still complex. And uh I think that was kind of the uh, the biggest struggle we had was getting people to understand uh, the process. Communication and between communication uh, was very difficult. The, the benefit and the user, right? And gotcha. so, uh, I, my staff and I, we spent a lot of time traveling around the country talking about this. Board of Veterans Appeals did the the same thing, and um, the whole idea was. You know, there's veteran service organization representatives out there all over the country, uh, getting them to understand the benefits of the new process versus the old and and talking about a subject that's that's so complex like this and, and really so vast. We're talking about more than a million claims every year are, are filed and, and decided by wow. VBA. So a uh, very complex process. Is that both initial and appeals or combined or is that... Um one or the other. So the stat we generally use is uh, we we receive um, over a million every year, and we have for I think about nine years now. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're deciding around 1.2 to 1.4 million claims every year. I forget what the exact number was last year, uh, but we've been saying for years. And if you go back and look at the data historically, about 11 to 12 percent of those decisions every year uh, there ends up being an appeal. Wow. And so that's feeding a was feeding a process that was really slow and bogged down. Yeah. Now it's feeding the new process. Very good. Um, so 125 days for hire and supplemental claims. You guys are hitting the mark there. Um, what about the uh, the board of appeals? It said it would. The video said it would be about a year. How are they doing? Uh, I don't have any data for you sure. on that. Um, I'd have to rely on the board to provide that. But uh, I can I can tell you this that you know one of the things that we really grappled with when we were doing the uh, the design work and and actually when we initially started uh, talking internally about hey we have a problem here can we all agree that there's a problem internally in VA before yeah. we go out and talk to stakeholders. And one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about, um, primarily the deputy undersecretary and, and me and my former colleagues at the board was, well, how how long should it take to get a decision from the board? And, uh, you know, nobody really knew the right answer to that question because of, you know, we were in a system that just wasn't working well. And, and everyone's it, got different circumstances. Right. Yeah. And so what we came up with, because we had to be able to talk externally about this, was well, at a minimum, we think there should be an opportunity to get a decision from the board in an average of one year. You know, and, and yeah. some people are going to say, well, that's a long time. It's better than, you know, an average of three to seven years. Yeah. Um, so that's how we came up with the one year goal for, and that's for- For the, the board. That's for the board, one of the board's lanes, which is, 
is that direct docket. That's where the board is looking at the same evidence as the prior decision maker and, and making a decision based on that. Got you. The uh, the hearing is that what's the target? So there's two lanes in the, within the within the board of appeals, direct, and you said a year. Yeah, there's three actually. There's, oh, there's three. There's, there's direct. There's a a hearing docket. So they have three different dockets that they manage on a new system, and uh, and then there's a um, what's called an evidence docket where you can add some additional evidence, and the board adds it to the record and makes a decision. Roger. Um, since we're early in the process, uh, the board is still working on what the goals should be on those other two options. And I would encourage you to perhaps in one of your, your future episodes here, get uh, get somebody from the board here Absolutely. and uh, perhaps Chairman Mason and, and have them discuss their piece of the of the new process. If you got an email, I'll get them on. I'll provide it to you. Awesome. Awesome. So if someone is still in a legacy system, how can they opt in to, yeah, the, to a, the current system? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, I already mentioned that we, we ran the ramp program. Uh, th- that essentially ended when we went live with the, the new process and implemented the new law. Uh, but when we were working with congressional staff on on the new law, one of the things we did want to make sure that was included was an opportunity to opt in uh, if you have a legacy appeal that's still pending. So the way to look at this is the law applies to decisions that are made benefit claim decisions that are made on or after February 19th. So if you got a decision on your benefit claim, you filed a claim for disability compensation, you got a decision on February 18th, you're in the old legacy process. So we wanted to provide a way to opt in. Uh, The law allows anybody that receives a statement of the case or a supplemental statement of the case in their legacy appeal to opt in at that point. And you get all three of the options. You can opt into the supplemental claim lane, the higher level review lane, or you can go directly to the board. Okay. Um, So now, you know, we're getting into some of the complexity here. Uh, Statement of the case, uh, you can get that if you file a notice of disagreement. You start your appeal, um, and we take a look at it and try to resolve the disagreement. We'll either issue a rating decision granting the benefit or we'll issue a statement of the case saying why we cannot grant the benefit. Roger. When you get that statement of the case, you can opt into the new process. So there will be a notice when that statement of the case is mailed out to the veteran saying, hey, you have this opportunity to opt into the new process. Right now. Right, right. now. So you have, I think I saw in the video it said like 60 days or 60 something days. like that. So what about those that have given their, and I can, this is where I start getting into personal stuff. Uh, what about those that have given their power of attorney to an already to someone else, and they didn't receive a letter. They didn't see a they didn't see a letter. Right. So, um, when we send out uh, uh, our decision notices to include statements of the case, a copy always goes to the veteran, and a copy always to the representative. Roger. So, Roger. Um, so both should receive these kind of documents that have that notice in it. Gotcha. Um, Sixty days is the opportunity to opt in. Um, Keep in mind that it's not just statements of the case, it's supplemental statements of the case. So let's say a veteran uh, gets a statement of the case, you have additional evidence you want to submit, you submit some additional evidence. We have to take a look at it, we have a duty to assist, and then you'll get a supplemental statement of the case. You again will have an opportunity to opt in. Even in a case where... So each time you submit evidence, you have a chance to opt into the new program. Essentially, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Unless we grant your benefit... Yeah. Uh, then, which of course, hopefully you'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, but it, every time you get one of those supplemental statements of the case, you have an opportunity to opt in. So even when you come That's back great. 
from the Board of Veterans' Appeals uh, when they remand an appeal back to us and we make a decision, there will be opportunities at that point to opt in as well. Awesome. Dave, is there anything that I haven't asked um, that you think it's important to share for our listeners or anything that I missed? Uh, I think you've been pretty thorough. Um, I would just say that uh, this is a huge law. I mean, it was a really big change for VA and for veterans. A great thing. Um, you know, we haven't had a chance to really talk about, you know, what's exceptional about this. But I think it's a really great example of what good government looks like, to be honest with you. It's, uh, we knew we had a problem. We went public with it. We We got all of our stakeholders together and and together came up with a solution uh it moved through the congress fairly quickly uh and was passed unanimously we implemented it on time uh and it's working so i mean it's just a great example of i think how government should should work Uh, having said that though uh, we also committed that we would fix something if we see it's not working right and so i wouldn't say this is the end state this is something where we are going to see things that we need to fix as we go, and we've committed that, yeah. that we would we would fix it and make sure it's working the way we want it to and so that it serves veterans best. I chose to be an outreach worker because of the fact that I've been there. I know what it is to be homeless. When I utilized my VI bill to get my house, That was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life because they helped me get a piece of the American dream. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov. I want to thank Dave for his time. This was one of my targets when I was given the range of the podcast because I knew it meant so much for so many veterans, VSOs, and other stakeholders. Had so many questions about the new way appeals are being handled by the VA, myself included. And I hope you have gotten a better understanding of the whole process. This episode will live on as a reference. Uh, You can come back to it anytime, as will the blog on blogs.va.gov with uh, videos embedded about the new program. Of course, we uh, covered the news release a couple weeks ago about the board deciding over 95,000 decisions, which is a 11% increase from last year. Now, as of right now, I don't have a monetary number for that, but we can do some kind of A plus B equals C and look at some relative numbers. So prior to the appeals modernization, uh, they had ramp. And looking at ramps numbers from the from the from the time that it was available, they processed eighty three thousand claims, and awarded more than four hundred ten million dollars in retroactive benefits. Four hundred ten million, eighty three thousand claims. With the last fiscal year in the new appeals modernization, they processed ninety five thousand claims. So if you do some law of averages, you can kind of get an idea of what how much. The numbers aren't in front of me, but if you do law of averages, you know A plus B equals C compare it to the ramp, you can get get a good idea of it's somewhere north of $410 million. Add another 10%. Hopefully, I'll get those numbers to you soon. And when I do, uh, I'll bring them up in a future episode. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Air Force veteran Mary Weiss Hester. 
Mary Weiss Hester grew up in Howe, Indiana. She decided to attend the Memorial Hospital of South Bend School of Nursing. In her final year of school, Hester joined the Air Force. Her father served in World War I, and her brothers also served in World War II and in Japan. So Hester decided to continue her family legacy. After she passed her state board medical exam, she entered the service April 16, 1951. Hester volunteered to go to Lowry Air Force Base in Colorado and then on to Montgomery, Alabama for flight school. She learned how to treat patients at altitude and help with evacuations. After flight school, Hester went back to Lowry. She served with the 801st Medical Air Evacuation Squadron and later the 90th Strategic Reconnaissance Wing. Then she received the opportunity to fly to Japan. For 14 months, Hester logged about 760 hours of flying between Japan and Korea treating patients. While she was on board, she met her future husband, Kenneth Hester, and they were married while they were in Japan. Hester returned to the United States in June of 1953, where she became a civilian nurse, and when her husband returned from service, they started a family together. In 1997, Hester and her husband were able to return to South Korea to receive medals from the government as thanks for their service. Sadly, Mary Weiss Hester passed away earlier this year in 2019. We honor her service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, just like you heard, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up or link and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this episode and haven't subscribed yet, please do. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, pretty much any podcatching app known as cell phone, computer, tablet, or man. And as always, for more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website at blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening on this Benefits Breakdown episode of Born the Battle. We will see you right here next week. You don't want to mix next week. Take care.